Hello, Internet. It's Tori. You're listening to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. For updates on when episodes go live, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. To join the discussion, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash CosmereCast, where you'll find an invitation to our Discord server. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Joining me this week are Dave. Oh, uh, it's, uh... Tori. Hello, Internet. And he's been turned to a robot at the bottom of a lake, Craig, eventually. Uh, so we start every week with good thing. Dave, you're you're good. Right, thanks, man. Pretty good yourself. Uh, I like uh, this week, Castlevania Circle of the Moon. I bought the new Castlevania collection on Switch, and Circle of the Moon's really fun. It's... Um, it's the first time they took like the Symphony of the uh, Symphony of the Night formula, and they simplified it a little bit and made it into a handheld game. So this is the first handheld Metroidvania type Castlevania game, and uh, kicked off a few different games. Uh, none of the other ones I've actually played before. I have played Circle of the Moon, but uh, it's got a cool magic system. You do have to kind of farm the magic spells from enemies. They come in the form of little uh, trading cards. And but once you collect like a trading card or a DSS card, uh, you you have it you know for the rest of that save file and can use it whenever you want. Um, but yeah, it's cool that you get to combine different cards and experiment experiment around and find different effects and stuff. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a really solid game. It's fun. It's what you want in a Metroid style Castlevania game. I didn't realize there was a new collection on the Switch. What else is in the collection? Uh, other portable Castlevania games, I think it's Harmony of Dissonance. Is that one? Honestly, not sure. The one with uh, Soma Cruz. There are, that one? Uh, from what I remember, there are like three Game Boy Advance games that were all right. came I, out I don't know a few years apart. I thought one of them might have been a DS game, but I think it's... Whatever, if it's the if there's three on Game Boy Advance, and that's those three plus Castlevania Dracula X, which is the crunched down Super Nintendo version of Rondo of Blood, where you uh, first play as Richter Belmont. Uh, so I never, I think I might have played Castlevania Dracula X like once. Uh, I never played through it. Um, so yeah, I'll probably get to that one. But I want to, you know, Dracula X. It's not. It's it's considered inferior to the original Rondo of Blood, but uh, it's still pretty decent from people that aren't quite so biased. You know, all the people that didn't have... What was, Rondo of Blood was on some weird, like, PC engine or something, wasn't it? I don't know, but you can make a pretty decent guess at the game titles by going music word of vampire word. Circle's not a music word, it's a dance word. And Moon's a werewolf word. Uh, anyway, yeah, Castlevania games. But yeah, so, uh, so just restarted Circle of the Moon within the last couple of weeks, and uh, this is you know it's almost it's almost the spooky day it's at the time of recording. So there you have it. Is anyone else a little Dave's irritated that like Metroid had the had the concept of Metroidvanias down like from the start, but Castlevania games weren't that until like well into their like several games in, and but they got. <laughs> But they get extra credit. Yeah, got equal credit in the title. Like, dang, man, come on. Yeah, why isn't it just a a Metroid like? Right. Um. 
And the kind of funny thing is the thing that Symphony of the Night added to the formula was like shops and level ups and magic meters. Like it added RPG elements to it, which isn't even a prerequisite for most games that are considered Metroidvanias. Like there's no X, I guess there's shops in Hollow Knight, but there's no level up or experience system other than finding upgrades, uh, environmental station alpha, Axiom Verge. Like those are more Metroid without the RPG elements. That <laughs> So that's good. I, I have thought about that, but I haven't gotten angry about it. Maybe I should. Grr. Samus was robbed. Hashtag. All right. Uh, I guess it's my turn for a good thing. Um, I forgot to prep one. So this sandwich I'm eating? No. Oxygen not included. I'm still playing it. It's still great. There's probably oxygen in your sandwich, especially if there's yeast in the bread. Uh, it's sourdough bread, so I'm thinking it's extra yeast. Or the yeast is older. I'm not 100% sure on the mechanics of that. I didn't get into bread baking at the beginning of the uh, of the quarantine. Thanks, phone, for making noise while I'm recording. I'll edit that out. Or I'll leave it in because it's funny. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, oxygen not included. Um, Colony Sim, I've talked about it a few times already. The big thing with it is that, like, there's nothing random about it besides, like, the original asteroid configuration. So... It's nice sometimes to play a game where if things go wrong, you can be 100% sure that it was your fault. You did it wrong. Mm -hmm. Good job. Like, it's not, it's not like RimWorld where like, yeah, I had three raids in a day and a half and I just, there was literally nothing I could do. Or like, (laughs) you know, a Civ game where Gandhi just nukes you as you're, as you're getting into the Iron Age, you know? (laughs) Gandhi nukes you. Uh, the only colony sim game I have really played was Prison Architect. Didn't even play that a whole t- bunch uh, of ton. Graphically, it's very RimWorldy. Um, I don't know mechanically. I tried playing a little bit of it. I never really got into it that much. Uh, but yeah, that's my good thing. So Craig is here and muted. Let's see what he sounds like. Craig, what's your good thing this week? It sounds so much better than the other one. I yeah, I know. I bit, rest- but yeah. I restarted my computer and I was playing around with the supposed to be the good microphone and it got worse compared to what you guys heard earlier. It is now worse. Fantastic. Well, I find that hard to imagine. Webcam know, mics right? quality is actually not horrible. So once I got your volume up a little bit, I think we're good. Yeah, I'll have to figure out what to do with my real mic. Um, my good thing this week. Uh, will just be a movie I watched last night. It's called Lucky Number Seven. If you guys ever heard of it, it has Josh Hartnett yes. and Bruce Willis and um uh shoot, what's his name? The guy with the good voice, Morgan Freeman. It has Morgan Tony Freeman. Tony J. Tim. Um, I, my wife showed it to me, and I for whatever reason really liked it, and I keep watching it. And she's like, "You watch this more than me," and I'm like, "Ah, it's just it's a Lucy Liu. Lucy Liu is in it as well, and it's just a nice little." It's it's an assassin slash uh, con movie, I guess. Um, fast paced. It's, it's pretty neat. So I've, go check it out. I've seen it once. I remember nothing. And like the internet is a big fan of this movie. Like in that I've ever heard anyone or ever read anyone like writing about it. It was it came across very positively. Cool. Well, I didn't hear about it until my wife showed it to me. And so there you go. All right, uh, Tori, what's your good thing? 
Well, um, as Dave mentioned earlier, it is spooky season. So all month long, I've been doing the, you know, reading scary books and watching scary movies. And so I would like to recommend for you guys a horror comedy. Um, if you're a fan of Shaun of the Dead and Tucker and Dale versus Evil, then I think you might enjoy this Nicolas Cage film called Wally's Wonderland, uh, which is absolutely a ripoff of Five Nights at Freddy's. Like, there is no way the screenwriter was not inspired by Five Nights at Freddy's. Um, Nicolas Cage plays a nameless drifter who um, ends up with flat tires uh, in a small town in the middle of nowhere, um, can't pay for the car repairs, and so the mechanic's like, "Uh, I, I got a guy who can give you a job, you can work it off. And so this rich businessman tells him, yeah, I just need someone to clean my um, closed down abandoned restaurant overnight uh, and we'll we'll fix your car for you. And the restaurant is it's Wally's Wonderland in the style of Freddy's or Chuck E. Cheese's where there are animatronic singing animals in there and and they I'm not kidding are demon possessed or um and killing people and Nicolas Cage ends up having to fight him off and it is hilarious it's uh there's senseless violence and over-the-top action and the plot is like barely held together and I laughed a lot I shouldn't have laughed I feel like a bad person for how much I laughed but it is a fabulous horror comedy and I highly recommend it you know that's another good thing. Nick Cage should be his own good thing. I feel like he has a lot of fun doing Like, he, he will accept any role. You know he has a, a fun time doing some of these goofy movies. Oh my gosh, I know he had a great time doing this movie. And the the funny thing is, he does not have a single spoken line. He is quiet the whole time. Wait, really? Everybody else is talking around him. He doesn't say a single word in this movie oh that's funny and i think they were and, and at the start of the night the businessman is like and remember to take breaks so every now and then he'll be in the middle of like a fist fight with one of these animatronic baddies and then his alarm will go off and he'll just stop in the middle of the fight and go off to the break room and take a break and um, it's funny it's so funny so i think this is riding off of the hype for five nights at freddy's and they're like let's make a movie but they i guess they didn't they didn't want to make a five nights at freddy's movie but instead of like horror, right. they went comedy. Yeah, they went like yeah. Action. Somebody, somebody else has got the rights for a Freddy's movie, and it's been in development for a while. And but yeah, it's absolutely a ripoff of of Freddy's, except it's comedy. And yeah, loved it. So as I posted in uh, Good Things, it is the best trailer I've ever seen. I have no desire to watch the movie, and also Red Letter Media. Um, just absolutely hated it. And I don't 100% trust their opinions, but usually if they say a movie is bad, they're they're pretty on point. But it's bad in the good kind of way, but the in trailer, my opinion. The trailer is, is hands down like the best two minutes of video I've ever seen. It's phenomenal. So, Tori says watch the movie, I say watch the trailer. I mean, why not both? <laughs> Porque no los dos. Uh, yeah, so Dave read a couple of chapters this week. I want to say 19 and 20. It better be, because that's what I read. Uh, chapter 14, 19, 17, I'm scrolling, 18, 19. Okay, 
And Craig, are you ready to read off the copper mind and help me suss out what these actually mean? Yes, that sounds pretty sus. Yes, I can help. Okay. Chapter 19. Puke runs in the family. Marasi wants to interview Akandra. Why not, Milan? She may not be reflective, but she sure is transparent. Marasi finds a cage with a void bringer. Section break. All right, Craig. Uh, I learned. Translate. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, so Marasi and, and Milan are, are like, what, snooping around, trying to act like they belong. And uh, I guess at one point, I, I don't remember this, but at some point, Milan must become transparent because Dave referenced it. So there you go. I don't know why, but she becomes transparent. Yeah. Um, Milan picks a lock. Oh, because she has a metal picks in her hand. That's probably why she becomes transparent for a moment. Um, so that way they can get to Irik's room and uh, they go exploring and snooping around. I think the act of moving her like flesh into the shape of like reaching into the lock or the safe, she actually exposes some bone. But just in general, she can be transparent. Yeah. And there's also uh, a picture that they see. Or not a picture, I'm sorry. Uh, they actually see a creature in one of the drawings, a monster, that uh, the conjurer from earlier, Relore, well, he's not from earlier. It's who they're looking for. But um, he drew, what he drew... They see him there, and it just—he has a human hand. It's like Voidbringer. I'm guessing that's what Dave is referencing. Oh, the Voidbringer was in the cage. That's who I'm talking about. That's what I just. You talk. I thought you were talking about Relore. No, no. Relore drew one of these quote-unquote monsters. That it's the guy you see in the cage. Sorry. Oh, I the Voidbringer. I didn't realize that Relor drew the Voidbringer. Okay. They see something in a cage, and it talks to them. There you go. That's the scene. Done. Yeah, the Voidbringer. All right, Tori, back to you. Okay, section break. I learned some new words today. Well, Dave, I'm glad you learned these words, because I don't know them. I'm going to do my best, though. Coronals. Nephiligenous. Zimililania. Saprostomus. All right, Craig, your turn. Say all of those words. No. Just a, no. That's it. That's not how well, those are pronounced. <laughs> Coronals is related to either the crown or something of the corona of a, like a celestial body, but I've never heard it like Coronals. Um, Zimilalagnia is the uh, is the act of ogling somebody's legs, uh, which I didn't know there was a word for, but there you have it. Um, I don't know what it has to do with uh, spaceship repairs, but Wayne seems to think they're connected. And nephiligenous? Uh, you know. No, I, I don't know. How about... Um, I, I, don't, I learned that word. I didn't learn what it meant. Gotcha. How about saprostomus? I think I tried to look it up with varying degrees of success. I don't know. I just Let me put it in Google and see here. Uh, having bad breath. That's right. That's what that one means. Okay. All right, Craig, Craig. Translate. Yeah. What's all this mean? I don't even know why he wrote this down. It's it must be something Wayne noticed while he was getting no, the. No, uh, no. Wayne was okay. pretending to be an engineer, and he threw out all these big words to trick people into thinking he had something important to say about some kind of emergency with the ship repairs. It sounds like a Wayne thing. Okay. More specifically, he convinced. A bunch of people, including, like, the head engineer guy, whose name is Irich? Yeah. 
Like, he convinced all of them that, like, the ship was going to collapse if they don't go and, like, push against a wall to be a distraction and get a bunch of people busy doing something that has nothing to do with Wax uh, sneaking around. Yeah, that sounds familiar now that you mention it, Mike. Yeah, he threw out a bunch of big, big, complicated-sounding words that I'm pretty sure he didn't know the meaning of. But the other guy pretended he knew the meaning of them. He was like, oh, yes, of course. Yeah. All right. Tori. Okay. Going back to the cage now. It's a person. Chondra spikes are slender and three inches long. That makes the bleeder maneuver seem rather difficult. And found. Marasi should take the cash. Not because of the value, but to make it less obvious that someone was after the spike. That's clever. Police. And I really want to know what that one's for. That's what yeah, the void finger says. Oh, yeah. But it sounds much more pathetic and, and begging in the audio version. Or the full house version. I was saying it's Roger Rabbit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I could see Roger Rabbit. Oh, I have the fifth element scene for that. You know, somewhere someone has used that in a weird, slightly annoying tone. Insert your own version here. Am I translating or are we, is there more? Yeah, you, you should be translating now. All right, yeah, so it's a guy, the guy in the cage is not a void bringer, but just someone wearing a mask, and he says please to, you know, try to let him out. You don't know he's not a void bringer. Okay, that's true. We don't know he's not a void bringer at this point in time, or ever, except we're not on Roshar, so he's probably not a void bringer, unless Lyft says so, you know. Um, I mean, even Wendell says he's not a void bringer. Yeah, but can you trust a void bringer? You can't. That's no. exactly what a Voidbringer would say. Right. Um, so they're, they're going to recover the spike, and uh, Milan won't touch it because it's, that's not cool to touch someone else's spike. Um, unless, I guess, you're, you're uh, Tensoon and, you, and you're forced to. Um, I don't know what the Bleeder maneuver meant. I, I don't actually know what uh, it I know Bleeder could only have in one spike at a time, so she'd have to pull out a spike as she's falling onto another spike. I just I feel like if the spike is smaller, it would be harder to make sure that you land on it on the point side. I don't think you have to land on the point side, though. You just have to absorb it. Well, I guess that's true. Their mitochondrial flesh is more malleable. They're, yeah, they're if, like... they, if they make it go all jello on them, then... Yeah, they're just giant piles of ooze. They just bleh, over the spike. And three inches long and slender, that sounds like a nail. Like, you can totally set one of those point up and step on it, and then go get a tetanus shot. <laughs> right? But hopefully not a tetanus shot from a needle that has been charged with investiture, because it will defeat the purpose from also like Anyway, we're not talking about Bleeder. Um, we're talking about finding the, the Chondra spike that they've been looking for, and Morosky's, you know, stealing some other things so that way it doesn't seem so obvious, which is clever. No, she steals, she steals the spike, but she leaves the cash, because it feels less like stealing that way. But I feel like Dave has the better point of just take everything that's in the safe so that oh, it's less obvious what it. you're... No, she didn't take the money. Like, oh. she left big stacks of money. Oh, okay. Well, the Coppermine wiki doesn't say one way or the other. That's why I had no idea. So it's not important. It's No, it's very important. Well, I mean, about. a bunch of stuff's going to happen pretty soon anyway that's, uh, you know... It's they're not gonna end up being as sneaky as enough for it to matter anyway. All right, let's move on. Next bullet point says Telson is a fast learner. That's it. Time to translate. So 
Wax gives Telson a gun, which she asked for. So he gives her a spare gun. And I'm assuming she sets the gun, like she does something with the gun that makes it very clear that she knows how to use one or is very quick to learn. Yeah, she, she literally shoots the guy. Well, yeah, she also shoots the coin shop that entered the room. <laughs> that was the thing that she oh, did. Okay, that was the thing. <laughs> okay, there you go. She shot the coin shot. The moment he entered. Okay, next. Be careful. You're right, Waxilliam's voice in my head. No time to sneak now. There's a gunfight. Over to you, Craig. Um. So Marassi takes the masked man with them. And, the boy um, what? The, the, clearly it's a Parshendi. I mean, come on. Okay, well, whoever he is, he goes with them. Um, and he he grabs some kind of, like, disc while, before he goes, and um, and he puts it on. It's like, what, some, like, a necklace or something like that? Or it might be a bracelet. I'm, I'm not sure. It doesn't really was, say. It just has a disc. I thought it was, like, an armband was how he wore it. It might be, yeah. Um, and then they were going to sneak out, but then there's gunshots. End of chapter. All right, so she thinks that he's wearing a mask, but it's described as like red and black marbly mask. Um, and then the part where he takes the mask off, uh, he was he just was using breaths to make the illusion of taking the mask off to put Marassi at ease. So this Parshendi spaceship crash landed on Skadril. That's my going theory. All right. Uh, next chapter. Chapter 20. Escape plan. Dave didn't write down what the plan was. When have you ever known Telson to stay... Oh, Dave, I can't see with your cursor in the way. When have you ever known Telson to stay put? Exciting stuff, Craig. What? Okay. Um, well, from everything we know about Telson, like from the prologue chapter, she doesn't stay put. So, yeah, that's pretty clear. Didn't, like, Wax tell her, like, wait here. And uh, she doesn't. So, um, like, during the whole gunfight and everything, um, yeah, Wax Wax puts Helsin on top of the ship because it looks like it's, like, sort of fortified. So it'd be a nice, safe place. Um, then he goes back to Wayne. But when Wayne puts up the speed bubble, he notices Telson is, like, on a ladder or something climbing down the ship. So it's like, what the heck? Um, so Wayne has to, well, Wax sends Wayne over to Telson help out by the way i'm not entirely convinced that telson is on wax's side all right well, well we'll talk about that later um i can fill in the escape plan if the copper mine doesn't mention what it is well okay if, if i may read word from word wayne gets caught by gunfire uh and they keep shooting as he tries to heal it up uh and then wax goes all al- alimantically crazy because as he does goes on an al- it says goes on an alimantic frenzy getting hit by an aluminum bullet but manages to rescue Wayne. That's what it says. Um, then they get on the ship, so they're safe for now, but there's heavy gunfire. And then three Alamancers in a fancy suit show up, and Wax dispatches one of them with the Thug Killer shotgun. And then Marasi throws up a speed bubble on one of the on one of the guys to sort of throw off his aim and, and timing, uh, so Wax doesn't get shot. And there you go. And then he shoots that guy that that Marasi caught in that bubble. Okay. To fill in a little more, uh, Wax's escape plan is go through rooms until they find a room that's on an outer wall, and Wax will like become heavy and push a hole in the wall, and they can get out that way. Um, then, yeah, Wayne gets pinned down, so Wax goes Super Saiyan, basically. 
Uh, As he does whenever uh, Wayne is in danger. Yeah. And then there's a really chaotic fight scene that I didn't completely follow. A lot of people are shooting a lot of things, and Wax is, like, ignoring 90% of it and just looking for people that are shooting stuff that he can't track alimantically and focusing on them. And, yeah, that's... Then we get to the next section. Go. Okay, moving on. Please ship, and Marcy gets shot. Oh, this one's easy. So the masked man points for them to go on the ship, and that they should go there, and then Marasi got Good shot. Good job. What? Okay. What happened? Uh, Tori left. Okay, I'll fill in. Mike, Mike it's going to be your turn for tech issues next. I hope you're ready. <laughs> I had mine beforehand. We're we're good. Okay. So yeah. Uh Mask Man can only say please in whatever language we're speaking, space French. Um, but he like tries to drag Marisi to the ship. Um Milan has been like soaking up bullets to keep Marisi from getting hit, but one gets by and catches. And next section is Tori back yet. Yes, yeah, I'm back. Hi. We're all robots today. Yes, next um, section. Let's go. It's Halloween. <laughs> right? Um, yes, oh, say affirmative. Next section. Into the wrecked ship. That was That's the whole section, apparently. That's a Dave reference. That's a Dave thing. It doesn't say the no wrecked ship. It says into wrecked ship. Okay, wrecked ship. Oh, I apologize. Is a location in Super Metroid, which is, if, if any of you guys yeah. watch, listen go to his Twitch channel, that's what he plays, and yeah, they're they're going into the ship, which is called Wreck Ship now. GG. Wreck Ship first. It's a spaceship that crash-landed on a planet and has an elephant ghost boss inside. I don't know. Yeah. That's exactly what this is in the book, clearly. It, it's an elephant ghost that is eating all the ship's power, because once you kill the elephant ghost, re-kill, double-kill. Uh, the power comes back on. Exercise, I think, is the word you're looking for. No, that doesn't mm-hmm. sound right. Anyway, Craig, what's that mean in like actual book terms? They're going onto the ship. Excellent. That's what they do. That's they... the insight we need you for. Tori, next. <laughs> okay, this is the last section. Okay, Babblefish. Who's the cute one? Oh, Wayne, obviously. Escape pod. That's the end. Craig, go. All right. Babblefish is in reference to. The the masked man, like I guess he can he gives them a um a medallion to wear and then translator. Nope, wrong way way around logo. He puts on a different medallion that lets him start speaking space French. Okay, my my apologies. So it's a babble fish that you eat instead of sticking your ear. So he well actually they don't eat it, he wears it. He wears it and he can speak their language. I I meant figuratively eat. (laughs) Okay. Um Right, so yeah, he he puts on a medallion. My my apologies, I was jumping ahead because he also gives them medallions to strap on as well. But those don't have anything to do with speaking or not speaking. No, they space don't. Right. I was reading ahead in the in the wiki. That's my fault. Um, and then they the the room that they're in is actually a separate part of the boat. It's actually it's it's its own boat. Sorry, it's its own boat, and that's why it's an escape pod because they they can use it the to go into the sky. He gives him bracelets that give that allow the wearer to store weight ferrochemically. It seems like yes, right. That's what iron does. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. And he doesn't give one the wax because wax can already do it. Right. 
So they make themselves lighter, and he pushes this separate boat into the sky. Because their weight is obviously very significant in comparison to the escape pod's weight. So they need to reduce their weight. If this is made out of, like, you don't know what materials it's made out of, it could be... It could be made out of space foil, it's true. Yes, it could be made out of tin foil or something like that. It's just super light, you don't know. I didn't say tin foil, I said space foil. Sure. Regardless, hydrofoil. them storing their weight and, and he's able to push this up into the sky is good enough to get away. The end of chapter 20. That's interesting. Maybe that's how they got into space. By everybody lowers their weight, the spaceship lowers its weight, and then they use Alamancy to push off into space. Maybe that's how they got there. Maybe they're not from another planet. Maybe they're from Skadriel, went on a space mission, and then fell back down in Ellendale Basin. So why do you keep thinking they're from space? Well, where, where, they because they're on a not, spaceship. No one said this was a spaceship. Then where are the sails, Craig? Where are the sails? You, you played enough Final Fantasy that it could just be an airship. Airships have sails. <laughs> okay, all right, hold on. That's true, they do. Time out. Dave, if they're not from space, then why don't they speak space French? They speak Parshendi. I told you. See, see, Craig? They're from space. If they weren't from space, they'd speak space French. Checkmate me. Anyway, so um, there's actually quite a bit that's happened in this past couple of chapters. Um, we get to meet this new character, and so I think I think we want to talk about him. So, from what Dave said earlier, he's suspicious. Like I think legit, like we're joking around, but I think legit. You you think he might be Parshendi? That was my initial thought. The more it went on, the more doubtful I became. But hasn't been disproven yet. Okay. Oh, uh, we haven't learned his name yet. We will soon, Dave. Until then, we need a name for him. Go. Relaine. Relaine. Is that what you said? You cut out a little bit. Yeah, Relaine. Aw, that's pretty. Where did you come up with that? Uh, that's my uh, dog's name. So nice. Yeah, my dog came up with that name. He was like, I think my dog knows your dog. Oh, yeah, he's trying to call him. Okay, Mm -hmm. we're on on a time crunch here. So, Dave, you had a question from last week for Craig. Go. Um, it had to do with the physics of uh, activating a cadmium bubble on a carriage and also using the space cube to store the cadmium. So first off, the carriage pulls her out of the bubble, which I didn't understand. Or Mike, I think, suggested that the horses were outside of the cadmium bubble. Tori suggested that. I suggested that the horses actually broke the bubble. Yeah. How? Craig, go. Uh. So. Okay. Hold on. Let me. Let me think about this. Uh, While Craig so, thinks about this, I will also say chapter twenty confirms that in order for Marasi to store Alamancy into the cube, she does have to put herself into a time bubble. It doesn't prevent her from making the time bubble. Okay, okay, so yeah, that that debunks the thing I thought happened. So good catch. So the problem is she puts a bubble up while she's on the carriage, but it immediately pops. Right, it's described because the horses pull the carriage, and they pull since they are pulling Morassi out of the time bubble. That causes the bubble to pop. Right. If okay, if they're not part of the bubble itself, like they're separate. So that, that okay, there's a couple of interesting things here because the planet itself. 
I assume is rotating. And so whenever that kind of bubble comes up, it's usually self-contained. You can't be standing mm-hmm. on the planet and have it pull you out of it. So for whatever reason, when a bubble is formed, it doesn't actually encapsulate. Well, I guess your they, position on it stays. Yeah, that's actually explained. Yeah, um, they, they discuss that. It's 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 a question of like how big the thing you're on is and how fast it's moving of whether or not like right, you're anchored that's to the planet or, the, on a train. or the vehicle. Yeah. So, oh, the so like of... it's it's centered on you when you form it. Right. But you, the person forming it, can move around inside it. We see Wayne move around inside his bubbles all the time. And if he goes to the edge of the bubble, well, that will break the bubble. So what happened is, Marasi formed a bubble in the carriage. The horses are pulling the carriage. They pull her to the edge of the bubble. It breaks the bubble. Yeah, so that, that's what I was going to say. Um, uh, she, okay. She's slowing down time, so it moves very slowly for her. The horses are just moving at their constant one, one-to-one rate. And for her, the, it goes up and it instantly pops because she's immediately pulled out. But for her, just because time is, is slower, um, for her, like, she's slower. Her time itself is slower. Well, I think that the um, the carriage is not massive enough for the time bubble to move along with the carriage. Because um, the interesting thing is if, if they were on a train, which I believe they've done this before, and you put up a bubble, like, it stays relative Right, because the train is massive enough to carry the bubble with it, like a planet. Not as massive as a planet, but same principle. Yeah, so there's a certain limit, and the carriage unfortunately doesn't have that limit, so... They they also mentioned speed being a factor, so like, if the carriage had been going faster, it theoretically would have anchored on the carriage rather than the planet. Still an interesting uh, use of cadmium. Trying to kill Wayne and the horses? Yeah. Pretty interesting. It's a good thing Wayne got that. It's a good thing Wayne got that energy tank in the last episode. Otherwise, he would have died in this episode. Yeah, I was going to say Wayne doesn't die. Don't be silly, Mike. Oh, there was a thing in this week's chapters that, like, at one point Wayne gets shot in the leg by a crossbow, and it's just in his leg for like at least this week, maybe next week. Well, he. I do also did also take note that Wayne gets shot in the neck. Uh, so you know, it's not impossible to recover from like instantly fatal wounds with gold mines. It, it really depends on how much health is stored up. I mean, it is still it's just right. feeding up your body's natural process to heal. That's what the gold actually does. And yeah. they address it with Miles way back in Alloy of Law, where. Because he's a compounder and he has so much health stored, because really that's all he's using is the health that's stored. Um, even something that would normally kill a person right away, it like instantly heals itself. So that's why it's, he's so hard to kill anyone like that. Yeah, and this is, I'm actually going to go ahead and uh, confirm the stories that the Lord Ruler was beheaded and survived the beheading. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and say that 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 could be the case. Yeah. Especially if he could, oh, especially if he knew enough about identity to, like, store his soul or whatever uh, in a safer part of his body when he got beheaded. So, um, one second. Um, yeah. Uh, what, what do we... Well, did that stabbed in the heart with a spear? Or did you have more for me? I think that was it. Okay. Um, what else do we have for this week, then? We have a ship. We have a dude with a mask. 
What's going on here? Oh, and you had something to say about Telson. That's what I wanted to get to. Yeah. What did you want to Let's... talk about with Telson? All I said is I'm not entirely convinced that she's on Wax's side. Okay. Are we ready for spoiler time then? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Net. Bye, Dave. Dave's gone. Play the thing. This concludes the spoiler-free section of our podcast. If you are, as I am, reading along for the first time, we recommend that you stop listening now, as the following will contain spoilers for not only this book, but for other Cosmere books as well. There may also be general spoilers from any other source material. Spoilers begin now. Okay, spoiler time. Yeah, we got like ten minutes, guys. Okay, so I I know you were just saying it to sort of go along with what Dave knows, but yeah, gold does not just accelerate the body's natural healing. It restores you to what your body think or what your identity thinks your body should be. Right. So that seems to be how healing with investiture works in general. Yep. And what we now know, and especially, I mean, this we learned this in Stormlight Archives, but um, the reason that, for example, Knights Radiant just heal faster and better, like it's just sort of like an innate property of investiture and having it that it it sort of connects you. I, I might be actually capital C connects you to your I, capital I identity. Um, but in general, when you go to heal yourself, a major component is your identity and what you see yourself. This is why Kaladin has scars on his head because that's a part of his identity and yep. he can't just get rid of those. Theoretically, Wayne could um, shapeshift with his with his healing. With his gold? Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah. That's a change. So he would have to change his identity. Um, and then if his identity changes, then his gold can reform him to that new identity. Hey, I got a thought. What if that's why he's so good at like disguises is he's doing that a little bit you think there's like minor changes that are happening which just makes him look much better in the disguise i mean he goes to some effort to like actually change the way he thinks yeah when he goes into he disguise so yeah what if what if that's happening a little bit he could be it's just that's just sort of like innate property of, of the cosmere he's not there's no metal mine or anything he's messing with that's just what he does his identity is that he can embrace other people's identities. That's sort of why Milan says to him in the beginning that he's wasted not being a con like he'd make a perfect chandra. Yeah. Oh, and and the, it's because his identity can is so fluid like that. Gold not healing you based on just the body's natural healing. Like Wayne fixed a severed spine. Like you you just you just if that breaks, you don't recover from that. Like Nerve damage doesn't fix itself in a human body. It's just how that works. All right, so real quick, I'm going to read from the Coppermine wiki about gold. Gold healing works by aligning an individual's physical aspect to their ideal self as recorded in their spiritual aspect. That's, I mean, it's it's a long way of saying it's based on their identity, but yeah, that... maybe we should be careful throwing around the identity word. Um, that just seems like a really complicated way of saying the thing we just said. Yeah, I don't know. There seems there might be more emphasis placed on a physical aspect and a spiritual aspect. Identity is the thing that connects your physical, cognitive, and spiritual pieces together. Like, that's what identity is. It's the combination of all three. So, yes, it's basically what we're saying, but I want to be clear. That's what identity does from our current understanding as of this recording. Um, that's what identity does and healing. The way it works is that it's aligning your physical 
representation to what the spiritual believes it is. Your identity. Oh, and regarding Telson, uh, Dave's right. She is not on Wax's side. I don't know if I realized it this early in my first read, but yeah, you you know really early that Telson is up to something and she's not who she says he is. Yeah, I, I knew as soon as she shot the guy because it's like, oh, that, that guy could have told Wax that uh, <laughs> what was going on. So I have a question. Yeah. What is the set up to? What What is their plan? Like, why did Telson let herself be quote-unquote rescued by Wax and Co.? Like, what are they trying to do? What's their goal here? Well, her goal... Well, okay. What they're doing, in, like, a larger sense, is trying to, like, get a technological advantage by stealing the, te- the technology of the Southern Scadrians. Yeah. But they don't understand it, and they can't get any of the Southern Scadrians to talk. I think partially because they aren't giving them their learn how to translate. Like, they aren't giving them their auto-translate medallions because they also don't understand how that works. It's just connection, but yes. Um, yeah. So basically they want a fleet of airships because they see that as being a thing. Okay. Like, Specifically, what is Telson's goal? Telson, now that Wax is here, is doing the same thing that Uncle Set was trying to do and get him out of the equation. So like... Oh, distract him. She's trying to well, make him be distracted. Plan A was to distract him. That didn't work. Plan B was to distract him with something else. That also didn't work. Plan C was to frame him for murder and also start a civil war, which, I mean, those are ongoing, but they didn't get him, they didn't prevent him from coming to the site. So we're on to, like, plan G, which is Telson sees him and is like, okay, I need to deal with this guy. Let's put myself in a position where I can do that. Which to getting rid of Wax. Which, A, involved shooting a guy who could spoil her very cobbled-together last-minute plan, and then B, starting enough of a ruckus that maybe he gets shot and killed there on site, and then C, she, I don't know, I forget what she does later, but whatever that was, that's, like, plan G-C. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, she's she's one of the set. Uh, she's higher-ranked than Uncle Suit, also. Yeah, she's higher-ranked than him. Which, again, I wonder about Ant Suit, because she was also supposed to be on that carriage that killed all three of them. Telson and Wax were sort of raised together, um, but, you know, Telson, of course, is, is with the suit. Um, Sequence, that's her name, right? Sequence? I don't remember. So, if she's higher ranking than Uncle, Uncle, bleh, Uncle Suit, then, yeah, maybe Ant Suit is even, like, maybe she's the one who started it all, recruited Telson, and then recruited Uncle Sue. So the thing I thought of lately, and I may have thought of this before, I don't know, I'll probably hear it in, like, a couple of weeks when I edit that episode. Um, are the set an offshoot of the, of, not the diagram, different, so many freaking groups, uh, the Ghostbloods? Oh yeah, someone mentioned that. So, I don't think so, because the Ghostbloods, I mean, that's Kelsier's group, and they were working, he was working with the Southern Scadrians. And the fact that right. it appears the set are just learning about the Southern Scadrians and trying to, like, extract technology from them, I don't think they know anything about the Ghostbloods currently. But being a member of the Ghostbloods doesn't necessarily mean that you're in the in-group that is actually informed about things. Like, yeah. Ant Suit could be the only Ghostblood in, in, the, in the set. What is this group called? Yeah, the set. 
Uh, like, she could be the only ghost blood in the set, and she just hasn't told anybody else about anything. They're just her personal power structure. I don't know. Yeah, but um, if they were working for her, and she already knew the stuff, I could see her telling them so that she could get more information out of them. Yeah, it's not a well-formed theory. I'll give you that. You know. All right, so so going back to the guy with the mask, uh, what's his name? Don't Where remember. Oh, I'm trying to look it up in the wiki, and it's not listed anywhere. Let's call him Sid, because he gives the party an airship. I don't know, I think it started with an A. It was like Al or something. Like, I find out the captain of their ship was Jordis. He's the one he came... Like, oh, Alec. Alec is his name. See, it was an A name. I knew it. So, now, he, he actually does look human. Like, he's not Prashendi. No, he is human. He's actually closer to... He's He and the Southern Scadrians were, like, the baseline humans that got held back and not adjusted by the Lord Rule. Right. So... However, they have they have lived on a real messed up planet for 1,300 years since the Lord Ruler messed it up, and there have been some adaptation. Like yeah, one of them being that the masks do eventually grow into their face, and also their their comfort temperature is like way higher than <laughs> yeah that than normal. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, they were the control group, like like you said. So he gained work his genetic experiments to form the ska and the nobility as the lord ruler did and then when he moved the planet back in alignment it went from being tropical down there to flipping cold which is not something that they're used to luckily someone comes and saves them i wonder who that will be i guess we'll find out in like it's a shame we're never going to find out never because craig has to go yep it's time Time for Zelda. No time for love, Dr. Jones. Okay, well, that's pretty much all I had. Uh, I just wanted to confirm. I, I thought I thought it was an interesting theory that's like they, they actually don't look human or anything. Um, but I know we see his... I think we see his face at one point. Yeah, I thought he had like a mustache. According to his art, yes, he does have a mustache. Which, a mustache under a mask is like a hat on a hat. It's a... <laughs> it's more than there should be, right? Like, either it should be, like, full-blown, unkempt, never-shaved, never-trimmed beard, or it should just be clean-shaven. Like Yo, anything... he's also... Oh! I just remembered, he has to refer to Wax with a different title every time, doesn't he? Yeah, he's got the weird, like, obsequious... Yeah, he's got to do honorifics for every time. He's he's obsequious to, ra- to Wax while also being super insulting and rude. It's so and, good. And... Yeah, and that starts immediately in the next chapter. That's got to be something Kelsier did, right? So, so it's towards Wax, but it's not to Marasi, even though Marasi can also handle metal. But he hasn't seen evidence of that. That's true. Or it, it could be the fact that Wax is a twinborn. Well, does he do that to Wayne? Nope, he does not refer to Wayne that way. So it might be something specifically because Wax deals with steel and iron, because, you know, those those are really important in Kelsier's world. This is this is Kelsier's fault. I'm I'm certain yes. it's Kelsier's fault. I'm with you on that. All, all right. right. Yes. Yeah, so that, that's all I have. You gotta go. Let's end the stream or let's end the recording. Also. Bye, everybody. Good night, Bye, internet. This has been the Cosmere Deep Dive podcast. Follow us on Twitter at, at @CosmereCast or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is "Traveling Made Up Continents" by Gillicuddy, used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening.